You are. We gotta work on that taking up the offering thing with you. He likes the plates. You did. <laughs> we got we got a little bit of sickness going on in the in the church. So just uh, y'all be in prayer for the ones that are, are not here. We've got I think they said Sandy was sick too. So uh, be in prayer for those. It's it is that time of year we're starting to gather with their family and friends a little bit more, but. With that can come sickness, so just to remember them and um, what was I was gonna mention? Oh, next Sunday. So next Sunday is Christmas, and um, what you made it just in time, just got here. <laughs> um, next Sunday is Christmas, and we're we're still planning on having church service here uh, at eleven. That won't change. The only thing that could change that is the snowstorm that Morris has been praying for, and I don't know why he's doing that, but just in case, you know, we'll keep you posted on that anyway, but just in case, they, it's supposed to be a pretty good little uh, front coming through here that, towards the end of this week. So, uh, but anyway, if, I, if, if nothing else, uh, we'll have church here next Sunday at 11. Uh, no, we won't have Sunday school. We'll just have preaching at 11, and we can go be with our, our families from that, that point on. If you have your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. <clears throat> i try to keep myself together. Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. We, uh, we kind of live in a day and time of excuses. And until I, and, and, and Jonathan can probably vouch for this too, until you become a manager, you just don't hear a lot of excuses. And then once you get in the management role, you hear all kinds of excuses that are apparent, one of the two. As a parent, you hear a lot of excuses too. But we have a lot of excuses that, that we use. We, we live in a culture of excuses, I guess is the best way to say it. We always try to pin it on someone else or we didn't know, we didn't hear, whatever it is. We're quick to blame others uh, or others or just circumstances in general. We just blame others for what's going on. We, we try to get out of commitments and that's one of the things that bothers me the most about the the day and time that we live in is nobody is committed to anything nobody you know i remember my dad my grandpa and even myself i'll catch myself doing this too because it's the way i was brought up is i'm okay with a handshake i'll take your word for it that's just the way i was brought up that's the way they were brought up but you can't do that anymore. When I left, uh, Samaritan's Person went to Wilcox Travel. One of the things, that, one of the biggest differences for me was the fact that as a manager at SP, I did a lot of contracts. I had to sign contracts. I had to draw up contracts. With Wilcox Travel, we don't work under contract. I take your word. Uh, Samaritan's Person is the biggest uh, um, contractor we have at Wilcox Travel. And... We don't work under contract. It's a handshake. Millions of dollars spent every year on travel through us, and it's all on a word. Yes, you can have our business, and that's it. We have no commitment anymore, though, from other, other people. We don't have that. We have excuses to try to break ties with people. We excuse our behavior a lot of time. And, that, again, that's being a parent. You see that a lot. Sometimes we come up with excuses as it, as it pertains to our relationships with God, though. 
We have excuses why we don't worship. We have excuses why we don't pray. We have excuses why we don't read our Bible. We have excuses why we don't attend, not just attend, but are not active in our churches. We have excuses why we don't have a close relationship with God anymore. And that's the sad part about the, the Christian faith that we have right now is we have, we have allowed the world to let us come up with excuses why we don't, don't worship and serve God the way that we should. Of all the things that Christmas is, the birth of Jesus shows us that there is no room for excuses. There are no room, there is no room whatsoever for an excuse for each one of us to not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I really thought, I mean, the first few words out of Jerry's mouth this morning, I thought, oh Lord, he's getting ready to preach my sermon. I thought, and it's not something, I don't title my sermons or anything like that, but if I was to put one on this today, it would be no excuses. There is no excuse for each one of us to not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no room for it. God has made it very clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of the over, over 300 prophecies that we have read in the Old Testament. Now, we have not read that, and I thought that would be a really good sermon series. <laughs> 300 prophecies, and that takes take us a whole you know, several years to do that. But Jesus is the fulfillment. God promised us something through his prophets of old in the Old Testament that we've read about. He promised us a Savior. He promised us a Messiah. And he fulfilled that promise through his son, Jesus Christ. And we have read that. We know that. We know for a fact that it's all been fulfilled. So there is no excuses for us to not have a relationship with Jesus. Because we know He's real, we know He's true, we know that He loves us, we know that He died for us, we know that He was born for us. We know all that stuff, so there are no excuses for us as individuals to not have that relationship with, with Jesus. A preacher said this, I had to write this down because I thought it was pretty good. He said that Christmas is when the Old Testament and the New Testament intersect, uh, culminating in an uh, extra extravagant explosion of fulfillment i should have read that through a few times christmas is when the old testament and new testament intersect culminating in an extravagant explosion of fulfillment it's just like you read through genesis and all the way through mike and you get to the end and then boom you hit matthew what we're getting ready to lit to read and there's just an explosion of good news because that's what this Christmas is about. It's, it's, it's the gospel. It's spreading the good news. It's, it's the joyful news of Jesus Christ's birth. And it's just like a bomb is set off. A good bomb, if there is such a thing, is set off. Not one of those sprinkler bombs, Tabitha, that you're probably thinking about. It's a good bomb going off. And it's just showering us with love and grace and mercy and peace and joy and happiness and all the things that God can give us, it is being shown to us in these verses, in Matthew and in Luke as well. So here's the truth, and, and I, I'll say this about the truth. The truth is a lot like poetry. Nobody likes it, okay? <laughs> be, I'll be honest with you. Nobody likes poetry, but nobody likes the truth either. But here's the truth about Christmas. Here's the truth about a relationship with Jesus. There are no excuses. There are no excuses. We should, each and every one of us, 
have a relationship with Him. Everyone here today should have a knowledge of God and who He is. Each one of us today should have a knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, and who He is. Now, it doesn't have to be a vast knowledge. You don't have to be a theologian to know who God is. Those people scare me worse than, than anybody else. I believe just having a relationship with Jesus, having a close walk with my Jesus, that's what he wants. And it's very easy to have. It's an easy thing to have. No more excuses. Now, I, I'm, I've got a lot to go through today. And we're going to look at Old Testament, we're going to look at New Testament. Because I love this time of year, right now, this is when all the prophecy is starting to be fulfilled. I love it because it's just more and more proof that God never breaks promise. Every promise he's ever made, he has fulfilled. If you go back and you look at Genesis 3.15, I'm not going to read it, but the Bible says that he is the seed who would one day crush the head of Satan when he died on the cross. Go back to Exodus 12, and that says that he is a sacrificial lamb who was pictured in the Passover. And you look at him over in Micah 5 too, and it, it talks about the place, and the place being Bethlehem, he, the place where he was born. It was prophesied 700 years before his time. Any of the Old Testament prophecy that we read on the, on the day of Jesus' birth, it was all fulfilled. With the exception of the ones where it was prophesied that he would die. It was all fulfilled. His birth, miraculous birth. I can't just say birth, it's a miraculous birth. It was pictured and it was fulfilled when Isaiah predicted it, uh, when he was going to be born of a virgin over in Isaiah 7.14. Starting in the book of Matthew, though, we move from prediction and prophecy in the Old Testament to the presentation of the Son of God in the New Testament. From prophecy to prediction, or from prophecy to fulfillment. Just like that. There was a, there was a time that God didn't speak. There was a time when there was not a movement of God. There was a time where Folks thought that he had forgot about them. And then all of a sudden, we are introduced to his only begotten son. All of a sudden, prophecy begins to be fulfilled. And all of a sudden, Jews are being converted. All of a sudden, they see that the God that they served never left them. He said he'd never leave them nor forsake them. But he never left them. And he made promises after promises Promises times over 300. He made these promises, and then he began to fulfill them. You can't read the Old Testament without seeing this, this one promise that runs through. It's, it's a constant. It's running through the Old Testament. Every, every page you go through, and, and it's this one little promise that God made us, and that promise is someone is coming. Someone is coming. Someone is, ain't that exciting news? When, when you was young, you was growing up, and, and you, you, your parents or you, somebody would tell you, somebody's coming. There's going to be a visitor. Somebody's going to come visit you. Somebody's going to come see you. Maybe your family's coming to see you. Maybe you've got a friend that you ain't seen in forever. They're coming to see you. But someone is coming. 
Well, for all those years in the Old Testament, God was telling His people, someone is coming. Just hang on. A better day is coming. Just hang on for a little bit longer. Someone is coming. And then He fulfilled it. Now, these, these prophets didn't get to witness it. And it's kind of like us right now. Here we are waiting for the second coming. They were waiting for the first coming of the Messiah. Now we're waiting for His return. And so I feel like we're kind of in their boat right now. We're just, we're just waiting. We're just hanging out and waiting. Back then, God was saying, someone is coming. Now He's saying, He's coming again. Someone's coming again. My son's coming again. The Messiah is coming again. And this time, He's taking you back with Him. So the Old Testament was, someone is coming. The New Testament is, He's coming back. And we're waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. If you've got your Bible, stand with me just a moment. Uh, Matthew 1.17 Matthew 1.17 and I have marked put, put that over there in the wrong place One seventeen. Bible says so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations and from the carrying away into Babylon into Christ are 14 generations now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise when, as his mother Mary was a spouse of Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to take or to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of God, or son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Let's pray. Lord God, again this morning, we thank you for the promise that you fulfilled, all the promises that you've ever fulfilled. And God, we look forward to the, uh, the other promises, not that you haven't fulfilled and that you're not going to fulfill, but God, that it's just not in your time yet to fulfill. Lord, we look forward to that day of fulfillment. And Father, we thank you again this morning for the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the greatest gift that's ever been given to each one of us. Lord, I thank you for my salvation. I thank you for my salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. What a gift. Father, we praise you this morning for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we just thank you this morning for what you continue to do in your church. Lord, it's hard to be in the minority but, Lord, that's what your church is right now, unfortunately. And I pray, God, that we would stand strong together with you at the head of the church. And Father, we would move forward through this sin-filled world. God, we would make a mark on humanity right now, Father. And that mark would be your son, Jesus Christ. That mark would be the light of this world. That mark would be a representation of the kingdom of God. And I pray, God, that you give us 
what we need for this battle. Continue to equip us. Lord, continue to use us. Continue to guide us. And Lord, I pray that all that we do would honor you, bring glory to you. And I pray, Father, that as we do this, we find other lost souls, be a witness to them, and lead them to Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just thank you again for today, and I pray, God, for those that are sick. Uh, Lord, I pray for uh, uh, Miss Louise has a, a prayer request there for her, for, uh, 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 was it Katie's? Lakens, I'm sorry, for Lakens' sister-in-law's daughter, 18-month-old, got a uh, issue with her, her bronchioles, and I pray, God, that you would just be with that family. And for the other children that are sick around her as well, for those in the church that are sick, God, it's it's uh, it's going to be tough in the next few weeks. And I pray, God, that you just keep us healthy, keep us on our feet. And, Lord, I pray that you not allow the devil uh, to affect our time of gathering and our time of worship. Father, we love you and we praise you this morning. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> now, we're going to bounce around a little bit. But when you look at Matthew, Matthew links the Old Testament. I like Matthew. I like them all, but I like Matthew because Matthew's a Jew. Matthew likes to talk to Jews. Jews are a hard bunch of people to talk to. That's why I like Matthew. He is. He would be. He's my go-to guy whenever, uh, whenever I get an opportunity to talk to a Jew. I always try to put on my Matthew hat and, and to talk to him because now I'm not a Jew by no means, but I try to think like one. I want to be. I don't want to be one because they've denounced Jesus, but I want to be able to relate to them the way that Matthew has related to the Jews that he's writing to, that he's talking to, because he's able to convert them. He knows how to work with them and talk to them. He has, I was doing some math the other day, he has 53 direct quotes and 76 references from the Old Testament. Just in the book of Matthew. He's a smart little feller. And so this, this man... He knows how to, to reach out and to touch the Jews because he is quoting what they know. He's talking them uh, through the Old Testament. Even though he is talking about the Messiah, he's talking about the Messiah being here, he's talking about Jesus Christ being the Messiah, the Son of God, he is using the Old Testament to draw them in. He knows how to set the hook. That's what he's done. He has baited it and he has set it and now he's reeling them in. He... He clearly, through what we've read and what we'll continue to read here shortly, he identifies Jesus as the promised and, and long-awaited Messiah. He, he lets them know that he's here. Stop looking. He's made it. Stop looking. Now, unfortunately, I believe that they have missed that over there now because I told you a few weeks ago, there is a rabbi in Israel right now that they are calling the Messiah. They're setting him up. They're in the process. They've got the, the calves are there now. The red heifers are there. They're in the process of building the third temple. And they're setting him up as the Messiah. I wish that somebody would give them an opportunity to hear the gospel because they've missed the mark. The Messiah's already been here. There's no need to set this little fella up as, as the Messiah because there will be no other. He's already been here. Jesus is that Messiah. And, and the evidence, folks, the evidence is overwhelming. You, you look at the, the guy, and I can't remember his name now, it's a weird name, but you look at him, there ain't a drop of prophecy talks about him. Nothing that he's done in his little life as was ever written in the Old Testament. But you go back and you look at Jesus, and it's overwhelming when you put it all together. 
And it's, it's clear. It, Jesus is clearly presented as that fulfillment of all the prophets of old, what they were longing for, what they wanted to see. I always think about Simeon and Anna. You know, they were the, the last, I ain't going to say the last two, but that's the last two that were recorded that we know about. There's a prophet and prophetess that they longed for that. For their whole lives, all they did was they, they worked in the temple and they, they waited for the Messiah and they got to experience it before their death. Simeon, we know, before his death, he got to see the child, the Christ child. He got to witness what he had been prophesying his whole life. The one thing that he believed in, the one thing he knew that he would get to do is to lay his eyes on the Son of God and he'd done it. And then Anna just passing on by, all of a sudden, she gets drawn in like a magnet, like a moth to a flame. That's, that's the Messiah. She gets to experience that. Matthew uses the phrase, he uses this a lot, 11 times to be specific, that it might be fulfilled that was spoken by the prophet. He says that 11 times, that it might be fulfilled that was spoken by the prophet. Now, he he doesn't mean that so much about the prophet. He uses the word prophet, but he actually uses the prophet's name. But he's not just talking about that. What he's trying to tell us is that God used that prophet to tell us about his son Jesus coming. God used that prophet. That's the important part. It ain't just some guy. It is God's man. He used God's man to tell the world that his son was coming. But he says it 11 times. And I want you to look at how precisely Jesus and, and the events of his life fulfilled everything that those prophets had been written about. Those prophets had written all this down for us. And then Jesus comes and, and through his life and the events of his life, he fulfills all of these prophecies. And I'm going to go through them. So brace yourself, not all of them, okay? I'm not going to go through all of them, just 11 I mentioned for Matthew. His virgin birth was over in Matthew 1.22. That takes us back and was foretold in Isaiah 7.14. Born in Bethlehem, Matthew tells us that over in Matthew 2.1-10. That was prophesied in, in Micah 5.2. The flight from Egypt, that was in Matthew 2.12, and that was spelled out in Hosea 11.1. 1. The slaughter of the young boys. Matthew tells us that in, in uh, Matthew 2.16, but it was sadly predicted in Jeremiah 31.15. Uh, Living in Nazareth, Matthew tells us that in, in chapter 2, verse 19, and, uh, some, and, and this, is, this, is the, this was the hardest one to, to really to dig up. You've got to go back to Judges to find this one. That blew my mind, but we found it. Judges 13.5, beginning of his ministry. Matthew talks about it in chapter 4, but was mentioned in Isaiah 9. Healing of the people. Matthew talks about it in chapter 8, but it was pictured in Isaiah 53, 4. The affirmation of his ministry. Matthew talks about it in chapter 12, but it was predicted in Isaiah 42. Speaking in parables. Matthew starts that in, in chapter 13, but it was laid out in Psalm 78. Entering into Jerusalem on a colt. Matthew talks about it in, in chapter 21 but it was pictured in Zechariah 9.9. The betrayal of Judas, Matthew 27, but that was predicted by Jeremiah 32. There's 11 accounts. That's just 11 accounts of the 300 and some. Folks, God never missed it. He never missed a one. 
I've made, I've made promises, and I've broke promises. And it hurts. I can't stand it. I hate to make a promise and then break a promise. I can't imagine making promises my entire life and never breaking one. I don't know that any of us can imagine that. But God. But God. Made promise after promise after promise after promise and continues to make promises and he continues to fill every single one of those promises. He made us... Those promises, gave them to the prophets. Prophets wrote it down. The Jews knew those. They knew the prophecy. And then Matthew gets to draw them in and gets to explain it to them. Matthew ties the old and the new to tell us that there are no excuses. That's what Matthew has done for each one of us is he has tied it, not just the Jews, but to us too. He has taken the Old Testament and he's taken the New Testament and he has tied them together just like shoestring and he has told us, folks, there are no excuses. It's all been fulfilled. It's time, time to meet Jesus. It is time to have a relationship with Jesus. He lets us know that the, that babe born in, in Bethlehem in that, in that manger is not only our, our merciful, loving Savior, but he is our King. He is the king not just any old king he is the king the book of matthew opens with with the genealogy of a king and it was so funny because i think it was three years ago yesterday paisley sung her her begats here at church she she learned all the begats in matthew and she sang them here that that, that sunday night for the church service and did you notice that we did not read those today I skipped all that. I know James was really wanting to, to read that stuff. But we skipped all those. If you look at, at the opening part of, of Matthew, it starts with that genealogy of a king. Every king has to have a royal lineage. Lineage. Every king has to. You don't just say, poof, you're king. I can't just go up to Nat and say, Nat, you're king. I can't say that. You're, well, I guess you are. <laughs> unfortunately it don't work that way you have to have a lineage you have to have a royal lineage to become a king and because of his ancestry it, it it's important it's an important thing to them and so you got to track that back kings have to be in the the one of my commentaries told me it, it's a regal line so it has to be, kings have to have, have to be in a regal line in order to qualify to be on the throne. Matthew begins with this exhausting lineage of Jesus. I mean, it's, it's, it's exhausting. I, was, I don't know how many times I watched Paisley's video yesterday. I just, I love the fact that she could memorize all that. But you look at that lineage of Jesus, and you look at that family tree, exhausting family tree, and it traces the 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 right of Jesus to reign. That's what he's doing. He's tracing the right for Jesus to reign, the way that he is reigning over us today. The first 16 verses, they're important. Yeah, they're important. It's just like trying to read the Bible. And, and you know, we've got a couple more weeks, and we're going to be in the new year, and a lot of us are going to sit down and say, we're going to read the Bible all the way through. I'm going to read the Bible in one year. And I promise you, you're going to get to Leviticus and stop. That's just what happens. You get into lineage, you get into begats, 
and you just stop, I can't do this, or you'll skip it, and if you skip it, then you had not read the Bible through. But we get to the begat. We always look over the begats. We look over the very first part of Matthew, and we do the same thing in Luke as well. We look over the generations of Jesus. We look over the generations of, of our Savior, our King. We look over that, and it's a very important part. And it, this is what Matthew knows. He knows that the Jews are they're pretty picky about pedigree. The Jews, they're going to trace that bloodline back. The Jews, they're going to know who the king really truly is. They're going to know these things. That's why Matthew starts out the way Matthew starts out. He is addressing the Jews. And so to get their attention and to really solidify what he believes and what he knows is true, he's going to say, all right, Here's this list of people. This, here's the lineage of this man, Jesus. Here's this lineage of the Messiah. I want to start here so that, that you'll know that he is the one true king. Because if he had not started with that, he'd lost the Jews' interest pretty quick. And so he starts out with this lineage. And the most important two names in the genealogy were the first ones that he mentioned. Matthew 1.1 says the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David, the son of Abraham. And you talk about catching a Jew's attention, you start talking about David, you start talking about Abraham, you've got some Jew's attention. And so he called him, and then he starts going through the begats. And so he's got their attention there. Abraham establishes what the Bible would call a racial lineage and david gives jesus the royal pedigree that they're looking for so in order to possess that royal lineage one would need to be a son of abraham and a son of david i know it's a lot to take in but it's exciting i love reading this stuff it's it's a lot to comprehend for us we go by faith we are convicted jerry gave his testimony this morning the conviction was there for us as Christians, the convictions were there for us. And so the Holy Spirit led us to salvation. Unfortunately, the Jews had to be led by genealogy to, to get them started. They had to pique their interest by talking about Abraham and David. That's how they piqued their interest, unfortunately. And so this racial line was promised through Abraham. And over in Genesis 12, 1, it tells us, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And then you have the royal line, that was promised through David, and that's over in Second Samuel 7, uh, 16. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. So Matthew gives us the family tree as it comes through Joseph, and then you go into Luke, and it's going to give us the family tree as it comes through Mary. And I'm not going to do that to y'all today, maybe some other time. But So you've got Matthew looking at, at uh, Joseph, and you have Luke that goes through Mary, and you have that lineage, and it all boils down to God had a plan. Amen. That's it. God had a plan. He didn't miss a mark. 
He didn't miss not one person. Everybody in that genealogy, even the crazy ones that were in there, he had a plan for them. He had to have each one of these people. How many of y'all have crazy people in your family? Yes, Jesus did too. He's not exempt. We all have crazy people. (laughs) I seen you look back there. (laughs) She looked right back at Tabitha when I said that. God used them all. The whole genealogy, God used them all. There are, there's three lessons that, that we can learn about Christmas from Matthew. And they're good lessons for us to learn from Matthew. The first one is God always keeps a promise. He always keeps his word. If I was to ask right now, has God ever broke a promise in your life? And you raise your hand and say yes, I'd ask you to leave. Because he has not. He has not. He doesn't have it in him. He can't do that to you. He can't. He makes a promise, and he keeps a promise. From the very beginning, when you go to Genesis 1-1, and you go into John 1, and you look at how the world was created, how, it, how, it, how he created everything in six days. When he started with the heavens and the earth, and you look at the beasts and the fish and the birds in the air and, and all the trees and everything that he has made us, he promised and promised and promised and continued to promise us all the way through the Old Testament. His son. His son. He kept promising that and other things. And he keeps them. I didn't say kept. I'm not talking past tense. He keeps them. Everything he's ever promised you, he will keep that promise. Now, he may be a while because he's got his own timing. We're not used to God's timing. God's timing is a little slow for most of us, but he's never late. He's always on time. Secondly, God works in spite of people like us. He's going to work through us. If God can accomplish his purpose through people like Herod and Caesar, we don't talk about them, but he did accomplish his purpose through crooks like that. He can use us. Or if he can do it through some shady people in, in Jesus' family tree like he did, he can work through me and you. He can use us. That's a promise. He can use us. Thirdly, Jesus is the king of Christmas and has the right to rule your life. Some people get a little defensive about that one. Nobody rules over me. I'm my own person. I'm my own king. I'm my own queen. I'm my own ruler. No, you're not. God is. That's all there is to it. He has the right. The big question of Matthew is is this. Is Jesus Christ king of your life? That's the one question that he's not just asking us right now in 2022. He was talking to the Jews as well. Is Jesus Christ, is this Messiah, is he the king of your life? And that's a question that you have to answer. Matthew can't answer it, and I can't answer it. Has the Christ of Christmas pierced your spirit? If he has, then that's why we celebrate the way that we celebrate Christmas, with joy and, and the love. It's not about gifts. 
It's, it's about the, the, the worship of Jesus. It's about taking time to, to, to thank God for his son, Jesus Christ. If he's mastered your heart and he's become the king of your life, then we have no excuses. We have no excuses to serve him. If he has not become the king of your life, he is, if he does not rule your life, after today, there'll be no excuses. Because I've just explained to you why there are no excuses. There's three, I've got to tell you this, three most common excuses. And y'all probably heard every one of these. Number one excuse. I forgot. That's the number one excuse for everybody. I forgot. I'm not talking about having a relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about, in general, why didn't you do this? I forgot. The older I get, the more I use that excuse. I know that. Second one is, no one told me ahead of time. No one told me. That one drives me crazy. No one, nobody told me. Third, and I've said that how much this week we're doing our progressive supper tonight, and I know nothing about what's going on. And I keep saying, nobody told me. It's not an excuse, it's the truth. The third one is, I didn't think it was that important. I didn't think it was that important. Yeah, it sure is. When it comes to the real meaning of Christmas, we can't say, we forgot. I don't ever want to see us especially as a church, get to the point where we've forgotten the true meaning of Christmas. I don't want to see us, not just as a church, but as individuals in the church, to forget what Christmas truly is about. That excuse won't work because God has surrounded each of us with evidence of the birth of His Son. He's trying to get our attention, and He, he does it. It's so funny how God works. He gets our attention in funny little ways. And, and I was looking at this necktie Maria picked out for me this morning. And I was watching Clayton play with candy canes a while ago that he shouldn't have been playing with. Don't talk back. He's starting early. You know, the candy canes ain't really canes. They're jays. And they were made by a Christian. And the colors represent Christ and blood and, pure, and being pure. That's God using that man that created the candy canes to get our attention, to remind us of Christ. He uses Christmas carols, not jingle bells, but I'm talking about the ones that we sing here at church. He uses those to remind us of his son, Jesus Christ. He uses little things like Christmas cards to remind us of his son Jesus Christ. He uses little things throughout this time of year for the church and for individuals to remember what Christmas truly is about. We need those little reminders. The world's overtaken us anyway, so we need to have those reminders of what we are to be celebrating. We can't say that no one told us ahead of time because that's a flat out lie. Even in the Old Testament, we can go back in the Old Testament. We knew way ahead of time Jesus was coming. We knew way ahead of time that there would be a Savior, that there would be a Messiah. God let us know about Christmas. Christmas, they, it was all the way back in the Old Testament. 
Christmas wasn't even a word in the Old Testament, but it was still in the Old Testament. He told us what was going to happen, and then he did it exactly as he said he would do it. So you can't use that excuse. Nobody told me. God told you. After today, it's going to be impossible for you to say that you weren't told ahead of time. We definitely can't say that Christmas is unimportant. You know, that was the third most used excuse is I didn't think it was important. It is very important. Not just, not just the Christmas holiday, but the birth of Christ is what was important. That's what we got to remember. It is important. All of human history hinges on the birth of Jesus. He's more than just the baby in a manger that we talk about. He came to die for your sins. We, we talk about the birth right now, and in about three or four months, we're going to talk about his death. It's, it's important. It's very important that we remember this. This is God's plan, and it's how, uh, how he set it up from the beginning. And you, you guys know I wish Angie was here because she just cringed when I talk about this. Y'all know how I feel about the wise men in the Christmas play. I won't put them in there because they wasn't there. They came when he was about two, two and a half years old. But the wise men actually had it right. If you look at Matthew 2.11, Bible says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down. And worshipped him, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Back then, bringing gifts was it was essential to approaching a superior. You had to. When you went to a king, you always took something with you. Always. I don't care if it was a casserole or a golden calf or whatever it was, you took something with you. It was a, a sign of respect. It was essential, though. You had to do it. You had to take something nice with you. That's how you know the wise men had it right. Because they went bearing these gifts. We don't know how many wise men there were. There's more than three. We know they brought three different types of gifts. And they went to the house, not the barn. And that the Bible tells us that. And when they were coming to the house... Jesus was born in a cave, a manger, a stable, whatever you want to call it. That says house. That's how you know. It's a little bit down the road. But they brought these gifts. The gifts they brought were expensive. And they represent a worthy tribute to a worthy king. That's a tribute to a king. They didn't take that to the to the joker. They didn't take that to, to any of the the pawns in the in the kingdom it was just to the king the king got the expensive gifts so the king the king was small the king was sent by god just for us the king now we, we look at the wise men and they they brought gifts to the king but the king gave us a gift the king gave us a gift, and that's, that's not normal. Kings don't give gifts, especially a gift like this. The king gave us the gift of eternal life. Can't top that. Ain't nobody able to top that. Might as well not even try. 
We got the most perfect gift, and the most perfect gift gave us the most perfect gift. Can't beat that. I'm going to close out looking at three different types of kings, and this is brief, but this, this, I think this will send it home with you. The first king we're going to look at is, is when King Herod heard that another king had been born, he went ballistic. This, is, this, this, one, this one king is biblical. He went ballistic. He went off his rocker. He was not a happy camper, and he, he made a decree. If you go over and look at verse 16 in chapter 2, it said, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wrath and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old. Another reason why we know Jesus too. From two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So when he figured out where the king of Christmas was, he sent him to kill the two-year-old and under. This king would bow only to himself. So this is a self-centered king. He only bowed to himself. Now we have another king. This one is not biblical, but it's, he's, a, he's a real king. The other king, he lived 100 years after Herod. Uh, his name was uh, Charmaine, or you could call him Charles the Great if you want to. Same, same person. One day he came to a cathedral. This, I love this story. And I may have told this one here, but this is a true story about him. One day he went to a cathedral, and he's shocked because the bishop had barred the door shut, couldn't get in. The gate was closed, couldn't get in. And so uh, he started pounding on the door. And the bishop come up and he said, uh, I can't remember his word, he said, who comes? And then the king answered, Charmaine, Lord and King of the Holy Roman Empire. And then the bishop answering for God, he said, him I know not, who comes? So the king, he's a little shaken then, he answered, he said, Charles the Great, a good and honest man of the earth. And again, the, the bishop answered. He said, him I know not, who comes? So this, this right here really, it really got him. It, it humbled the king. He was crushed. And the king said, Charles, a lowly sinner who begs the gift of Christ. The bishop said, him I know. Him I know. Enter. So that's your second king. Third king is King George. He lived about a thousand years after Charlemagne, and he went to the, the premier performance of, of Handel's Messiah. If y'all, I've never watched that. I mean, it's written back in the 1700s, but it's a, it's a, it's a play-type thing. They, they sing all through it. But this is where the Hallelujah Choir comes in. Hallelujah. It's, that's where that song comes from. It's a really old song. So King George went, this is not George Strait, okay? This is the other King George. So when, it, <laughs> when this music was first heard, it was, it was called a masterpiece. And this is, the, this is what they told about it. I love this. It tells the prophecies of Jesus and his birth with passages. And, and they, they were quoting scripture in this play. For unto us a child is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, which is out of the book of Isaiah. So when King George first heard the Hallelujah Chorus, he was so moved that he spontaneously rose from his seat, and the entire audience followed his example. 
He was so moved by not, not the music. Don't ever let the music move you. It needs to be the words. Let the words inside that song, let that be what moves you. But he was so moved by the words in that song that he stood up. And he said hallelujah. He stood up and the others stood up. He was moved. We have a self-centered king, a humble king, and a praising king all right here together. Where are you at today? Are you like Herod who is refusing to follow the king of Christmas to, and, and, and let it impact your life? That was Herod. He didn't, uh, he didn't approve of the king of Christmas. When challenged with your own pride, he finally realized that he was nothing in comparison to the king of kings. And that's Charmaine, or King Charles. He realized he was nothing when compared to Jesus. Have you got there yet? Have you realized that you are nothing? We are nothing. And then a lot of us are like King George. When you hear the music of Christmas and focus on the fulfillment of the prophecy, that's exciting. You want to stand up and you want to say hallelujah. That's what's exciting about Christmas for me. Prophecy fulfilled. Prophecy fulfilled. That, that's where we all should be. The last two kings there. Realize that we are nothing. And then celebrate who he is. Stand with me just a moment. We're going to close out. There are no excuses whatsoever. This time of year, we have ample opportunity. I told you this last week and probably the week before that. We have opportunity after opportunity. We're going to be seeing our friends. We're going to be seeing our family. We're going to be able to talk to them, witness to them, and hopefully lead them to Jesus. We have an opportunity. We have no excuses. Take advantage of this time of year. You've got friends. You've got family that are lost, bound for hell. Don't let their blood be on your hands when they get there. Do your part. Tell them about Jesus. Conley, will you dismiss us, please? Amen. All right. You're dismissed.